0: Tonight, we are looking at Proverbs 10 through 14, yep, we're going through 5, and we are calling this Table Talk with Lady Wisdom Part 1, because the lectures are over. If you've been with us, you know that in our series, The College of Christ, we're in primary school right now with Lady Wisdom. And the father, this, this, pervert, this father figure writing to his children through the first nine chapters of Proverbs has been a series of letters. My son, my son, please listen to my words of wisdom. Please avoid this. Please walk in this way. And there were 11 lessons from this parental figure. We can imagine our heavenly father to us as children. And then along the way, four times, Lady Wisdom comes along and supports what the father says and then puts it in her own words and says, yes, I can be your tutor for success i can be there side by side guiding you in the way and so last week chapter nine was our last lesson our last lecture and it was lady wisdom herself inviting us to her banquet it said that she has slaughtered her beasts, she has mixed her wine she has set the table and she has sent out her messengers to bring them to her house because while lady wisdom's calling for us to feast with her madame folly is over there trying to seduce other people in her place. And so the lessons of wisdom given to us is the table set. It's now time to eat. It's now time to feast with Lady Wisdom. So we are now for the rest of Proverbs in the section known as the Proverbs, where you have these uh, short sentences founded on long experiences. That's what they are. You'll you'll get to you'll know them really soon in the next few weeks. Short sentences founded on long experiences. These are the Proverbs, and these take us to the end of the book. So these, I would like you guys to imagine, these Proverbs are the little morsels sitting on the table of Lady Wisdom's mansion. This is the feast. We're now ready to partake. And unlike the way we sometimes imagine feasts, this one heaping hunk of meat, <laughs> and you, you just eat and devour this whole thing in one go, and it sits in you all heavy, and then you're in a comatose state at the end, a food coma. Anyone ever been there before? I've been in a food coma before. Not literally, but it was, I was basically unfunk, I could not function after that. That's not what Lady Wisdom's actually inviting us to. Her table is spread with variety. Now, as we sit at the table and eat with Lady Wisdom, we will notice that the food is a lot like the conversation at a dinner table. You'll, you'll notice that when people talk, you don't stick on topic for very long. Discussions and talks meander and weave from this subject to that subject. Sometimes they revisit this subject. And sometimes they abandon it for a long time and go over here. And then sometimes you stay on a subject for a while and you get these clusters of conversations around that subject. That's what Lady Wisdom's inviting us to do. She's inviting us to sit and to taste these samples, these little morsels of her food, um, and then to linger over them so that um, as we're taking these bites, we can then kind of talk about it. And, oh, the texture of this and the taste of that. And so this is our table talk with Lady Wisdom. These short sentences are meant so that you can sample, so that we can taste and then we can discuss. These are not, in other words, lectures. Lady Wisdom's not going to now while you eat. She's not going to spew out these long lessons to us. Those are done. She's going to throw this, and you get to nibble on that morsel. Think about it, discuss it. She's going to throw out that, nibble on it, discuss it. Oh, back to this subject. Now another one. This is how the Proverbs are going to work. As I told you guys before, that this is how we're going to teach them at this point. It's very common. um, Proverbs are infamously hard to teach because they're scattered, they're random. And so it's very common that typically what you'll do is you'll go through themes, money, the tongue, relationships, marriage. You go through these themes and then collect some of the highlights of the book of Proverbs and teach on them. That's a very effective way to do it. And I do not at all think that anyone who teaches it that way is doing it wrong. Not at all. It's a very effective way. I almost did it. But what then hit me was, you know what? I think that the randomness of the Proverbs is a lot like the way life comes at us. You'll notice that your problems in life and the situations in life do not come to you waving the life handbook that we are all reading and saying, hey, here's a problem, but you'll figure out how to master me if you go to page 78, section B. That's not how life works. Instead, life is more like the Proverbs. You get these random, this situation, that situation, this theme, that thing, that topic, this topic, and we gotta navigate our way through and just, we gotta hold on to these morsels so that when the moment comes, we know which one to use. This is how life works, and so the Proverbs are random, and I want us to get an experience and a feel for the randomness of the Proverbs. Therefore, I have the comfort in the next few weeks to have absolutely no consistency in my sermons whatsoever, and just randomly talk to you all night. It's going to be fantastic, a preacher's dream. Um, I'm only half kidding, though, because um, I... I I, what, I, what I'm planning to do is we're just going to read through them. I'll comment on some. I'm going to linger on the ones that are really juicy, at least in my perspective. And then um, we will loosely summarize what maybe we can gain from this and uh, take communion and call that a night, okay? So that's, that's how it's going to go. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now, after all these lessons, the father to the son... First, very, very first one says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. And that's a proverb, very short. Now, what you also need to know is that proverbs usually parallel in some way. The one line will either be mirrored by the next line or it will be opposed by the next line. This is Hebrew poetry. We like to rhyme in America, but in, in Hebrew, they like to parallel concepts. So you'll see this really clearly here in verse 1, where it says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. That's not to say only dads are proud of their wise sons, and only moms are ashamed of their foolish sons. That's not what it's saying. This is classic parallelism. It's a way to say parents in two different ways. So parents are happy when their children are wise. Parents are sad when their children are not wise. That's how you read that. Okay. Now, uh, verse 2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. What is that implying? Not immediate results on earth, but your future, the afterlife is implied here. Verse 3, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. General counsel there to just don't be lazy. Verse 5, he who gathers in summer... Another one, don't be lazy. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So there are seasons when work is really hard, and when you lived off the land like the Jews did, harvest season, you had to work hard. If you're sleeping or playing video games during harvest season, or if my students are playing video games during finals season, it's really rough for you. It's really not good for you. Verse 6, Blessings are on the head of the righteous. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Ooh, we do this all the time. Think about abortion. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. It's not murder. It's it's a woman's choice to exercise authority over her body. That's your mouth concealing violence. Verse 7, The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Reputation. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Because the wise will stop long enough to listen, but the babbling fool keeps on airing his opinion. Verse 9, whoever walks in integrity, walks securely. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Or in other words, living a lie is living In anxiety when you're hiding things in your life you are always on edge that someone's going to find out someone's going to snoop in the wrong place and see what i've been trying to cover someone's going to find out who i really am or what i've really done and we know the stats that there is an enormous rise in anxiety in our culture And we blame all kinds of things. We blame the modern age of always being in front of technology, of working super hard, of traffic and city life. We blame dietary things and food stuff. Now, look, a lot of these things do contribute to anxiety, absolutely. But I wonder how much of our culture's anxiety is precisely in the fact that we don't live lives of integrity, when I live a life of integrity, which is true to the way, and totally, it doesn't matter what people find out about me because I'm the same person inside as I am outside. There's no anxiety in life. Verse 10. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble. But here you go again. A babbling fool will come to ruin. See how it kind of meanders then it kind of comes back to that theme the way you do it during table talk. It just, it just has a nice little meandering flow here. Verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked, again, conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Now, I wouldn't say that every verse has been about the mouth, but you've seen this theme about the fool who's always talking so far, and it's bringing ruin upon him. Later in the Proverbs, there'll be much more specific Proverbs that say things like, even a fool is counted wise when he shuts up. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked, to sin. That one's interesting because it's almost as if Paul was spewing out this proverb in an inverted way when he said in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here, the wage of the righteous leads to life, but he says the wages of sin leads to death. The gain of the wicked to sin, but the gift of God... Oh, it's hard when you, in the middle of the verse, how's it go? <laughs> so the gift of God is eternal life, that is, through Christ Jesus our Lord, yeah. It seems to have a a mirror there. Verse 17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. So the humility to listen, to receive instruction, that's the path of life. That he who rejects reproof, don't go that way. It's going to take five years off your progress. I don't need to listen to you. But who rejects reproof leads others astray. You're not only going to hurt yourself, but you're going to hurt other people. That's an interesting thing to consider. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. And whoever utters slander is a fool. In chapter 26, it's going to have a string of proverbs all associated with the lips that lie. Uh, so that's, that's going to be, you can maybe look ahead, but um, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. It's a statistical probability. The more things Pastor Brandon says, the more likely he is to get in trouble. Yes, thank you, William. He is a human too. This is, uh, yes, well, we are fools together. Um, Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, and the heart of the wicked is of little worth. So the tongue of the righteous is silver. Here we go, more of the language theme. The tongue of the righteous is valuable, but the heart... Here's where the proverb is intensifying in the next line. The mere tongue of the righteous person is valuable, but the very heart of a wicked person, not so much. So if the tongue is silver, what is the heart of a righteous man? And often, what the tongue speaks reflects what the heart keeps. 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense in 22, the blessings of the Lord make rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Ooh, So many people are rich in our nation, and so many people have added sorrow to their life in the pursuit of riches. If we seek the Lord and allow him to lead us to what he wants us to have, when he wants us to have it, there's no burden, there's no sorrow added to it. 23, Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. So joke there refers to laughter out of pleasure. In other words, what it's saying is that the wicked person finds pleasure in doing wrong. But you'll also notice the difference between joke and pleasure is that typically we take pleasure seriously, but we take jokes flippantly. So a fool will just, he will find pleasure in doing idiot, idiot, uh, idiot, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Thank you. Idiotic things, um, And, but he'll do it flippantly, because, this is just, it's no big deal. But, but the righteous person, the wise person is finding pleasure and savoring what he's doing. It's like when you see something, well, I don't know, it's probably, it's an, uh, top of my head example, but you see someone just literally inhaling ice cream, and you're like, what? Is that a joke to you? This is gold to me. This is precious to me. I savor these because I don't want to eat too much ice cream kind of a thing but that's the way the wicked deal with things in life is everything's just flipping it's just it's just a joke relax it's not a big deal but the righteous uh, wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding 24 the wicked dreads what the wicked dreads will come upon him but the desire of the righteous will be granted how about that one what the wicked dreads will come upon him in genesis chapter 11 There were people on the earth who said, come, let us make a tower, lest we be scattered across the face of the earth. What did they fear? Being scattered across the face of the earth. So they build a city. They become one together. We will not be scattered. We're going to be mighty and powerful in our own name as we build this thing. And then God comes down to visit them, sort of an opposite Pentecost. He comes down and changes their language. And they scatter. <laughs> Don't you love that? The proverbs here nails it. That that what the what the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Now, what I've what I've realized is that so often our sin is something that we do in order to keep what we dread away from us. For example, greed fears scarcity, and lack. Gossip fears that this person will become popular or prosperous. Gluttony fears discomfort or denial of self. Vainglory fears insignificance and neglect. So we commit these sins to try to bring control over these things we fear. What the wicked dread will come upon him. But the desire of the righteous will be granted. Jesus told us not to be anxious in Matthew 6. You don't have to dread what's going to come upon you because you're not wicked. Instead, you're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All these things will be added to you. The desire of the righteous will be granted. 25. Okay, so verse 25 through 30 are a cluster. It's one of those moments when everybody at the table contributes to the same topic. So we're going to have a few verses here all about um, weathering the storms of life. And the storms of life may either refer to those hardships or this could be also, and this is the beauty of the Proverbs, they allow your imagination to expand a little bit. It could also be talking about the final day of judgment. I'll let you read it as you will. So we start in verse 25. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. So they remain at the end of the storm. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy But the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be moved. I'm sorry, never be removed. But the wicked will not dwell in the land. So the righteous are the ones that endure. Whether this is talking about the final judgment or the the storms of life or both. The righteous... Remain through it all. Now, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22, it actually says this twice, but I'm reading to you one of the examples. Leviticus 20, I love this example. God is basically telling Israel, be holy, walk in my ways, because if you don't, this is what happens. Leviticus twenty twenty-two, 22. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out, isn't that great? You could live a life so disgusting that the land itself will say, "Blah, get out of my mouth." But this is what these proverbs here have been telling us: is that the look the last one, verse thirty, the wicked will not dwell in the land because their lifestyle, the land itself vomited them out. But the righteous will remain. There's this theme. Matthew five five, Jesus said, "The meek shall inherit the what." The earth, the land, belongs to the meek, belongs to the righteous, belongs to the Christ followers. But the wicked are spewed out. The Proverbs talk about the inheriting of the future heavens and earth for those that follow the way of wisdom. But like in the promised land, in that land, those who choose another way will be spewed out. This should also bring to our minds Matthew 7, verse 24. You guys know it already. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, But the one who does my words, who hears my words and does them, is like the man who builds his house on the rock. And to shorten it, he says, The storm comes and it stands. But the foolish man, the one who hears my words and does not do them, is like the man who builds his house upon the sand. The storm comes, and he is no more. Definitely behind Jesus' words, these Proverbs. 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. Chapter 11, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. It's talking about justice and fairness because what would happen in the days of old is if you want to, you know, you want to buy this much grain, they'd weigh it and that would tell you how much it costs. But you could have your scale, <laughs> you could have a uh, one end of the scale a little heavier than it should be so that it requires more money to balance. It's a it's a way of cheating, in other words. I, I knew I know farmers back in the old days, when they were taxed for their crops, they would actually put water on their crops at, when they were in the wagon so that they would be heavier, so they wouldn't have to put as much grain in there because they had to be taxed by weight. So they put water in there to make it heavier so they can keep more of the grain for themselves. That would be like an example of an unjust weight. Don't cheat people is what that's saying. Verse 2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. We'd already heard that one in 10 verse 2. It's another way of saying the same one. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. In other words, living a righteous life is freedom. But living a sinful life is prison. Jesus said himself in John 8, 34, he who sins is a slave to sin. Sin keeps us coming back. It's it's, It's a product that never satisfies we are permanent customers to sin. Verse 7 When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. <laughs> we all, yes, you die with your money, I'm sorry. Or your money dies with you, I'm sorry. Verse 8 The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. How about that? being trustworthy with your words. People can trust that you're not going to reveal things. Where there is no guidance a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. That's where I think the church is wise to always look backward at how the church has conducted itself in the past. That's our our counsel right there. Um, Responding to the present day the way everybody else responds to the present day is not wisdom. Us doing things. We have a bias in our culture for the present, for the modern, for the young. But C.S. Lewis, whose advice people rarely follow, he was a wise man, he said that for every modern book we read, we should read at least one dead person. No, 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 very few people follow that today. And I know a lot of people don't read at all, but okay, so how about this? Um, Golly, what do you do? You don't really have many counselors if you don't read books. Um, You can't really talk to a dead person. They don't talk to you. So books are kind of your way. I'm sorry. That's just, it is a wise thing. But nonetheless, what am I saying? Uh, Where there's no guidance, people fall. But the abundance of counselors, there is safety. I think it's a good idea when we have conflict that we get together in fellowship and seek wisdom from one another. Because God, the Holy Spirit, does not dwell only in me. He dwells in all of us in many manifestations and forms. Verse 15, whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands in a pledge is secure. A gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. Okay, If you want money, be violent. You can get it. But if you want honor, which is far more valuable and more lasting, be gracious. We'll come back to verse 16. It connects to verse 22 uh, in just a moment. A woman who is kind benefits... A man, sorry, who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. A wicked, the wicked, earns deceptive wages, but one who who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Galatians says, "You, you will sow, you reap what you sow, you get what you put out." Uh, Verse nineteen: Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord but those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, even if it looks like it, okay? They will not go unpunished in the end. But the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Now here's where, verse 22 is going to connect to verse 16. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. That is one you never forget. A gold ring in a pig's snout is like a beautiful woman without discretion. A gold ring in a pig's snout. What pigs do is they root through dirt and dung and slop with their nose. If you've seen a pig eat, that's what they do. They shove the ground around and the food around with their nose. And they, they're smelling things out. And they're finding things. You put a gold ring in that pig's nose, you're not going to change its nature one bit. He's still going to shove that ring through the slop and the dung and the mud looking for food. That's like beauty without wisdom. Beauty is a curse to the one who has it, if they have no wisdom to govern it. And man, when I see students that I teach, um, you, you always see it. You see one of the beautiful girls, and they, when, they, when they begin to realize they're beautiful, how they begin to act. And it breaks my heart. I always see You're, this is foolishness. You need wisdom to govern your beauty, or it's going to lead you into slop and dung and a mess. Doesn't matter how beautiful you are you will have a messy life without wisdom. One commentator said this, uh, the the woman has transformed herself into a boorish animal in dress, speech and behavior. The pig is boorish by nature, but the woman turned aside from her dignity. 11 verse 23, the desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. Here's a good cluster, 24 through 26. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, but only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Or I love how the New King James put that, one who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. This has Barnabas written all over it, doesn't it? Barnabas gave freely, and man, we're still talking about him. He grew all the richer. Um, He also refreshed others, and so he was called the son of encouragement. This is definitely a reminder of Barnabas. Verse 25 is not limited when it says bringing blessing, whoever brings blessing and whoever waters others. That's not limited to money. It's not like you're only going to be blessed if you have wealth to give. You can encourage and refresh and enrich others with your time, which Michael Beaver said earlier at prayer is for, for him one of the most valuable commodities. Uh, our advice, our help, our service, our gifts, uh, our encouragement. Our encouragement. But the more we're giving to others, the more we're opening room within our souls to receive the never-ending grace and blessings from our Father. We lack so much because our fists are so closed. 27. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. (laughs) You need not look hard for evil. You look for it, it'll find you. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And if that doesn't make you think of Psalm 1, well, it should. Whoever meditates on the word of God will be like the tree whose leaf is always in season. It never withers and its fruit is always there. I've totally paraphrased it, but that's essentially what it says. 29, whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. And the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Whoever captures souls is wise. In other words, as you walk with Christ and you begin to grow the fruits of the Spirit in your life, you benefit others. Fruit on a tree is never to make the tree beautiful, although it is that. It's so that creatures and humans can eat it. It benefits others. And one of the primary ways we capture souls or we save people, we bring them into the kingdom, is not by lassoing them with tricks. They're not ponies that we need to conquer. I don't know why I said ponies, but they're not things to conquer. They are hungry souls desperate for something. It's just why they're into the sins they're into. But if we grow the fruits of Christ in our lives, you will save souls. You may not always know the souls you save, but the church needs desperately fruitful Christians, not fruits and nuts. 31, if the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? (laughs) Verse 12, or chapter 12, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I just love the bluntness of that. A good man obtains favor from the Lord and a man of evil devices he condemns. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. That phrase A.W. Tozer wrote a book on The root of the righteous—they will never be moved. We need roots in the church today, roots that are not moved by persecution, by fear, by people's opinions about our views on certain morals or ethics. We need the root of the righteous deep in the soil of the gospel. Four, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, Amen. But she who brings shame is like rottenness to his bones. I'm glad to say I have no experience there. The thoughts of the righteous, but I've you know, but we've seen it, we've watched it, maybe some of you know it, and you can say amen to that as well. This is obviously wisdom. Don't rush into marriage. It's an important decision. The thought of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Going back to that, the storms of life idea. A man is condemned according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Isn't that fantastic? Because this is our culture. Social media. We can portray ourselves however we want. But brothers and sisters, perception is never better than reality. I would rather, that I agree with this proverb, wholeheartedly. Which one was it? I, I put it down. Thank you. Nine. I would rather be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. In other words, the person who doesn't make much of himself has everything he needs, but the person who makes much of himself doesn't have what he needs. I'd rather be the person who's a whole person because I have Christ in me and people don't think well of me. That's a much better life. Reality is so much better than perception. And we must guard how we portray ourselves on social media. We must also I know, you guys aren't all big selfies, but big on selfies. But we must also guard ourselves on how we perceive other people portraying themselves. It is so easy to start thinking, wow, they've got their life together. Wow, they do cool things. Wow, I was at Calvary Chapel Twin Peaks on the Sunday night of Memorial Day weekend. But everybody else was on the lake and having a barbecue on their boat and blah, 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 blah. I'm so lame. I did what I do every Sunday night. Hmm. Well, I'll learn to have mercy if that's your attitude, but yeah. Social media, however, can um, indeed make you feel miserable. We must be careful about how we're portraying versus what's real. Verse 10, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Even their mercy is cruel. Oof, that's a creepy one. 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. In other words, when you are connected to Christ, he becomes your contentment. Because in Christ, we grow fruit. In Christ, we have a full life. But the world is always looking for contentment in other things. And so the motto of our society is infinite content is infinite, makes us infinitely content. Arcade Fire has a song that basically says that. Infinite content, we're infinitely content. Such a lie. And that's their point. They're making fun of it in the song. Our contentment comes when Christ is our content. He is infinite content. He gives us infinite fruit and filling in our life because as we looked at two weeks ago, was it Trinity Sunday? Um, the infinite life of the f- Trinity at perfect peace and happiness and fellowship with one another, spilling out into and making creation so that it can be drawn into its infinite happiness. What a life we have. And we, like C.S. Lewis said, prefer to make mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by a full, inclusive vacation at sea. Thirteen, an evil man is ensnared by the lip by the transgression of his lips but the righteous escapes from trouble from the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good and the work of a man's hand comes back to him the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but the wise man listens to advice mm-hmm. the vexation of a fool is known at once you offended me but the prudent ignores an insult there a lot of offended people today Just know that that is hand in hand with folly. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. You know what people are a lot by what they say. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the sloth will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad we have the good news to an anxious culture we have the good news and if we're feeling anxiety tonight if we're feeling anxiety in our lives we need more good news in our lives not Fox news not CNN news not conspiracy news, or uh, uh, hearsay news, uh, the news of the world. We need the news of the word. We need the good news. It is the good word that makes us glad. And you get brothers and sisters, you have that for other people. 26, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. The slothful man has hunted, he got his kill, he's like, ah, I'll leave it there. It's too much work to do the rest. He will, not, he will not get to enjoy the fruit of his labor. In 28, the path of the righteous is life, and in the pathway, there is no death. Um, Psalm 1611, uh, the Lord's, uh, you make known to me the paths of life. That's what 1611 says. A wise son, chapter 13, hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Whoever opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Do you not worry, guys. The Proverbs say the wicked will be overthrown by their own doing. It just is going to take time. I love what Spurgeon said in one of his sermons. Eternity will right the wrongs of time. These things will come true. Seven, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. So earlier we talked about perception versus reality. This one reminds you that most people are not as content with their life as they portray themselves to be. Never measure yourself to another person's level of happiness or success because often one pretends to be rich, they talk a big talk, but they really have nothing. Our contentment, again, is in Christ. All people struggle with contentment despite their appearances Verse 8, the ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice as wisdom, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. One word of advice, and I know Frank Richter He's not here tonight, but he would tell you with a heartily amen. Be careful of those get-rich-quick schemes. Uh, the calls that people make saying you won a—my wife wins a free cruise to the Bahamas every week. <laughs> now, there are some things. There are some things you're portrayed with that are too good to be true. If it's too good to be true, chances are it is. Don't, don't be a fool for quick money or for quick success or for quick gain. The biblical way is always little by little. So don't put your hope in the lottery either. Verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but, the desire, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So if our hope was a joke, it's not going to happen. Paul says, we of all people are the most to be pitied if the resurrection of the dead is not real. But guess what it is? And it is like the tree of life, it says. And guess what? In Revelation chapter 22, verse 2, we meet the tree of life waiting for us in the new heaven and new earth. So guess what, brothers and sisters? Your hope will not be deferred. Your heart will not be sick. You get to eat from the tree of life. If you hang in there, trust Christ, love Christ, give your life to Christ, your hope will not be deferred. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Verse 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that they may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. In everything, the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. We are faithful envoys. We bring the good news. We bring the healing of the nations. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. How dare you stop sinning with us? They get angry. They do. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Verse 20 is fantastic, because it basically says, um, you want to be wise? Be with wise people. You want to be godly? Be with godly people. Because you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I don't remember what it's called. It's the law of something. The law of association. We're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Who do you want to be? Choose well. That's Proverbs 13, verse 20. 21. Disaster pursues sinners. But the righteous are rewarded with good. They're just clearly fast runners is all, sinners. Clearly fast runners. Some of them are not, and we see their misery, but a lot of them are getting away with stuff. But it will catch up. Verse 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. <laughs> One day, right? One day. And the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Hmm. Um, Spanking children has gone out of favor these days. And perhaps, perhaps for good reason. I'm not saying we shouldn't. um, But here's, here's why I say perhaps for good reason. If you jump over to 14 verse 17, it says this. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. And a man of evil devices, a man, uh, a man of evil devices is he? Okay, well, the first part's the important one. I'm trying to point out. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. If if the way most people punish their children through spanking is when they're upset with their children, spanking is a terrible form of punishment. Terrible. It is not an outlet of a parent or a guardian upon a child. But how often is that the knee-jerk reaction of a human in his anger and his folly? You did what, kid? Teach you a lesson. If we punish in our emotions and in our feelings, we are not helping a child. But if we punish with a sound mind that's reasoned, that has stepped away from, and has, has stopped acting offended by a kid then our punishment will go in the right direction. So much, you hear this, just walking in your neighborhoods, the last house we lived at, we would hear parents screaming at their children and children screaming back at their parents. And it was sad, but on the other hand, when you're detached from it, comical, that the parents are talking to their children the way their children are talking to them. What is that doing? So yes, um, let's spare the rod if we cannot use it well. But obviously, the Proverbs are not literally saying you have to use a rod. The idea here is that there must be discipline in a person's life. That character is formed in the home first from the guardians first, not from the youth pastor, not from the church, not from the public school system or the Christian school system. The home is where character is formed. And woe betide the family that allows Wherever they go in life, they'll learn their way. That is not how children... The Proverbs would actually call that, look at the second line, that he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. No, oh, it's the first line. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. The Proverbs would call a lack of discipline child abuse. Neglecting the character of your child. That is a form of child abuse that unfortunately does not fit in the mandated reporting laws of child abuse. But in the Proverbs, lack of discipline is child abuse. The righteous, in verse 25, has enough to satisfy his appetite. But the belly of the wicked suffers want. 14, verse 1, the wisest of women builds her house. but folly with her own hands tears it down. Whoever walks, another one to remember in getting married, it's a very important choice because your household will either be great or horrible. There's some other great Proverbs coming up about marriage. Anyways. We'll wait for those. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where there is no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Cool, you want to keep your barn clean? Have no oxen. You want to keep your kitchen clean? Have no oxen. See how it goes? You need to make a mess in one place in order to fill your belly. Um, We'll come back to that one, actually. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet the words of knowledge. Going back to picking your friends in 13 verse 20. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. The guilt offering, what you give in the temple when you had sinned. Fools mock the idea of confession. They mock the idea of religion. But the wise are enjoying acceptance with God. Verse 10, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. And then verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. (laughs) So verse 4, verse 9, and verse 12, uh, we could string together as a a couple comments on the idea of humility and confession. Verse 9. A guilt offering. Fools never admit they're wrong. They never take responsibility for their sin. It's always that jerk's fault. If this person didn't do that, I wouldn't be in this mess. It's always shifting blame. Fools do not know how to confess their sin because they do not know how to own up to their own wrongs. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its way is the end of death. Look, almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much to desire, the devices and desires of our own hearts because that seemed right to my heart, but I followed that instead of your holy laws, and now I'm in the trouble I'm in. Confession recognizes that I am miserable, but he is merciful. And so verse 4, progress, if you want growth, if you want progress, it requires mess. Progress is a messy process. And sometimes, yes, literally, if you want to make advancements in certain areas, you kind of have to make a mess. You want to remodel your kitchen, you got to make a mess. William's been doing that on his house for some time. Uh, Progress is a messy process. But spiritually, too, brothers and sisters, if we want to come out of the trees of hiding, as Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, no longer in the Garden of Eden, because they were hiding in the trees, in the foliage, because they could not confess their faults before their father. If we want progress in our Christian life, we must confess our faults. Growth everywhere is a messy process. You do not grow by keeping hand sanitizer on your hands and sitting in a sanitary place. That's not how the soul grows. It grows by getting involved. It grows by recognizing its filth and taking that filth and handing it over to God. That's growth. Christian progress, true Christian progress, avoids what feels right and does what is right okay let's finish these because this is becoming very long I, it took I, I timed it takes 18 minutes just to read the proverbs and then i'm saying things so you don't know, do the math the backslider in heart this is verse 14 the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways the simple believes everything but the prudent gives thought to his steps One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. I read it right that time. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil bow down before the good, the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor, that obviously doesn't happen right now, but a day will come when it will The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich man has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. The (laughs) (laughs) the crown of the wise is their wealth but the folly of fools brings folly a truthful witness saves lives but one who breathes out lies is deceitful In the fear of the lord one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge the fear of the lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death in a multitude of people is the glory of a king but without people a prince is ruined Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Go back to 12.16. It's a parallel one. Um, the vexation of a fool is known at once. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Very similar. 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. I'll keep this one brief. Um, there is a connection between your physical well-being and your emotional well-being. There is. A tranquil heart gives life, but envy makes rot to the bones. If you're jealous, if you're envious, if you just can't stand a person or want to be them or want them to die so you can not have that and you can be that, if you want it that bad, you will hurt your life. We also know even science, godless science, says that unforgiveness will hurt you. So this is proverb way in advance of science says there's an emotional and physical connection in our lives. 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous gives to the needy honors him. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. (laughs) The wise person others are not always trying to say he's wise. But just by being wise, it can't help but bubble itself when it's in the midst of foolishness. People are just like, oh, he's wise. You never even said you're wise. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. A servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on the one who acts shamelessly. The Proverbs persistently warn us against rashness, against trying to get things now going too quick. And 1311 told us that wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So, yeah, financially speaking, that can be true. But spiritually speaking, it's the same principle. We want to grow up in Christ, we want our problems to be solved overnight. And so we're desperately looking for those gurus and leaders that can make us feel better instantly. That's not how God works. It's how humans can manipulate us. They can manipulate us into feeling things right away. But God works little by little. In in, in, um, Exodus chapter 23, God is telling the people of Israel that when they go into the promised land, he will fight on their behalf and give them the land. Now, you can imagine God saying that to you. You're like, awesome. I can see how this is going to work. We're going to get through this dreaded wilderness. We're going to get into the promised land, and then we're going to watch God clean it all up, and we're going to inhabit it and live happily ever after. No. God then tells them, but I will not give you the whole land all at once lest, um, here it is. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Notice this phrase. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. Little by little. Brothers and sisters, the blessings of Christ are so—Ephesians is huge in just saying how immeasurable and how incomprehensible the riches and blessings of Christ are. So immense that we have to grow in him little by little. We have (laughs) to— When Jesus— Okay, so heaven and the realities of Christ are so real, so weighty, so substantial, so full of that weight of glory— That we are too hollow and too ghost-like to embrace. It's terrifying. We have to grow into that. And the reason we're not swooped up to heaven the minute we're saved is because you're not ready for the realities and the weight of heaven. It is so real. That our lives, every decision, every moment is about our souls being shaped into the shape of the kingdom of God so that we can be creatures that are capable of living in such glory. That's the idea. Or put it like this. On Easter night, the disciples were locked in a room and Jesus appeared to them. He didn't open the door. He walked through the door. Now, usually we think like this. A door is a solid object. If I walk through it, my nose hurts. So we imagine that Jesus was some sort of like ephemeral spirit, sort of like passed through the door because he's thin and ghost-like. I'd rather you see that the resurrected life which Jesus was in the life of the age to come, embodied right then and there, is so real, so substantial, so full of the weight and beauty of God's glory that the door was as if it was paper-thin and ghost-like in comparison to the realities to come. Nothing's going to stop him. This is why we must grow little by little, because we are ghosts upon the earth in a sense until we're filled with the Spirit and then Christ's presence begins to grow in us little by little. Jesus also warned in a parable about the the man who has an unclean spirit driven from him and then the unclean spirit wanders around, finds nowhere to move in, so he comes back to that man with more demons, worse than himself, and they have a party in this cleaned out house. And Jesus' point, it would seem, is, look, you cannot just... Be emptied out overnight and expect to be better. You are. You must grow into the growth because if you're just simply dumped out, you're going to be so hungry that you're going to go to the only thing you've always known. We must learn, Christ, the way he works in our lives, little by little, he takes this out and gives us his peace. He takes that out and gives us his joy. He takes that out and gives us his love. Little by little, we grow. And so, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be discouraged because it seems that you're bearing fruit so little and so slowly. Or that prayer didn't do anything for me. I gave it a week. Oh, wow, good for you. You gave it a week? I mean, do you want to live forever or not? I don't think a week is a really big moment of time. Or, I got all the way through half a year reading the Bible, and I don't feel any different. Well, I've gotten through 20, no, I'm older than that. That's something, 36 years of life, and I don't remember nine-tenths of what I've eaten. As if, like, not remembering what we read in the Bible is a good reason to stop reading it. Like, we we have these excuses, or we have these approaches, and we have these mindsets that, oh, Christianity says these things work, so we give them a try, and then we grow impatient. We say it doesn't work. (laughs) Friends, Christ has called us as eternal souls to inherit his kingdom for eternity. Little by little is good enough. We will get there. We must build the practices little by little, step by step. One proverb here, one proverb there. Lady Wisdom is not dumping this one thing. you got to master the tongue tonight. So here's 18 minutes of reading Proverbs on the tongue. She's sprinkling in wealth here and honor and beauty there and the tongue here and um, something else we did here. She's sprinkling the themes around and the topics little by little This is how we grow. So, I want to close with encouraging you to keep going. Keep praying persistently. Keep reading the scriptures daily. Keep fellowshipping faithfully. Keep communing with God and the church weekly. And little by little, you will see the growth if you look back. Praise the Lord he doesn't do it all at once anyways, because then you'd all be a bunch of arrogant fools. I was that, now I'm this, I'm good, man. In one day I got my whole act together. Kingdom come for me. Yeah, all right. Let's pray. (laughs) uh, Father, thank you that you have not surrounded me with a bunch of fools.